Well, as you can tell, this is going to be ugly. I, I got a weird thing going on, and I may be doing some coughing. If I do, I'll try to cough into this uh, and uh, taking some drinks here and there. But uh, we got through it in the first service, so we'll get through it in this one. Uh, with God, anything is possible. So um, last night, if you, if you weren't missed our banquet last night, you missed uh, a gathering that really marked a lot of us. We heard story after story after story of how God is at work, lives being changed. A lot of it's just like the Burnhams just shared. It's taken years, you know, for things to happen. But uh, you faithfully stay connected to uh, the God of the universe, and he's at work. And you just see all kinds of things happen. So we're going to kind of further our conversation along these lines. Uh, but first, let's pray. Father, we would ask you to teach us now. We... Uh, we need your spirit. We need the wisdom of your word. Uh, we uh, need our hearts to be changed and melted. There are some of us sitting here right now, Lord, that are just, even the idea that we're talking about missions is just boring. <clears throat> but Lord, uh, help us to catch a vision for mission, a vision for why we're even here. And uh, help us as a church, Lord, have more and more and more the heart of Jesus Uh, more and more the eyes of Jesus to see people, to care about people the way you care about us. So God, teach us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So we're in a series talking about uh, our mission and our vision. Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 4 and we talked about our why. You know, every person needs a why. Uh, Why do I do what I do? Um, Why am I here? Why do I keep knocking myself out? Last week I said that we live in a culture that's really almost obsessed with hows. Not so much why, but hows. Books, infomercial, pop-up ads, you name it, are just filled with how to make money. You know, how to lose weight, how to be happy, how to get a house, how to raise a kid, how to discipline a kid, how to get rid of the kids, and all that kind of stuff. But we seem, (coughs) I think, too little concern with the why. Why? We read a passage in Matthew chapter 4. This is early in Jesus' ministry, very early. This is what we read. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Keep that, that's the context. Jesus is talking to fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. So we understand Jesus is saying, follow me, and you will have a why, a new why, big enough for everything that you do. Follow me, Jesus says, and you will know God. Follow me, and you will be undone by the grace of God. Follow me, and you will be healed by mercy. Follow me, and you will be captured by an incredible vision of eternity and of the kingdom. Follow me, and you will have a hope that is stronger than death and overcomes death. Follow me and you will feed the hungry and love the lonely. And God's power working through you will change history one life at a time. Follow me and I will send you out. And if you were fishermen, he'd say, to be a fisher of men. To be a fisher of men. We said last week, that's our why. That is our why as a church right there. message is twice as long as it would be, so it's going to be like a 50, 60-minute message. It's for all the breaks. 
Um, so we said last week, that is our why as a church. Wholeheartedly following Jesus. Doing what Jesus did. Jesus had a mission. His mission was you and me. And so many who've come before us. And so many who are yet to come. It was fishing for people. Uh, it was representing the Heavenly Father to people. It was loving and serving people so that they could come to be followers too. So that they could enter into the kingdom of God. Now, that is our why as a church. We clear on that? Okay. That's supposed to be your why too. You know? Uh, but what about the how? Hows do matter. Uh, what does fishing for people look like? What does uh, following Jesus look like? Well, we've actually given you some examples of people who've shared stories of how things are unfolding in their life. So you've seen some examples, but um, we want to look at the life of Jesus in this. And, and when we do, and we've talked about this before, I've taught on this before, uh, what we see, we see a dynamic in Jesus' life. We see three things going on in Jesus' life all the time. He was committed to these three things. In Luke chapter 6, we read this. It kind of illustrates all three. Uh, it says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. And then it lists their names. It says, he went down with them, and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. We see Jesus doing three things here, all really in one little event, one episode of his life. And we actually symbolize this with our cross, this thing that I stand under, that if it ever falls, it'll be sayonara. But... Uh, up on the cross, it's that, that metal uh, work that you see there is really a, a fancy triangle. And we put it on the cross because we, we talk about these things and we believe these three things are vital to our health. If we're going to accomplish the why, you know, I mean, there's got to be a how. Well, the how is this. It's up and it's in and it's out. First, Jesus consistently connected with the Heavenly Father. And because he connected with the Heavenly Father, because that was a top, top priority in his life, that's why he goes off and spends a, an evening all night communicating with the Father. And so up is a huge thing, and that's kind of what we talk about uh, when we think of connecting with the Father. It's the up dynamic of a Christian disciple, a follower of Jesus. The second thing we see him do is he creates community. He connects in community, calls out these disciples, makes 12 of them, uh, apostles, actually, and uh, he's going to spend more time with them than any others of his disciples. And this is actually, we talk about an in, so up and in. In is creating community, and community is vital. In fact, you heard some stories about how through community, people actually come to know Jesus when they see authentic love happening between community or in community. And then the third thing is, and we'll stick with Jesus' um, metaphor, he goes fishing. Uh, that's out. That's caring about people who may or may not be coming to you, but you go to them. Uh, he knew, of course, that nobody was perfect. That's one of the reasons he came. He knew that you weren't perfect. He knew that it's, I'm not perfect. He knew that people around him were not perfect. Everybody needs to hear about and to know the love of God the Father. And what's more, Jesus knew that everybody was welcome to join him in the kingdom that he was bringing. And uh, so that was part of his message. And so this morning, we're going to talk about just that first one of the hows, this up piece. Is that Okay. 
Okay? And uh, we're going to talk about connecting with the Father. Having our lives and our church connected to Almighty God through Jesus. And by the way, that's the only way to really be connected to the Heavenly Father is through Jesus. That's how pivotal of an individual Jesus is in human history. And when we are connected to the Father through Jesus, here's the thing. I'm going to be saying this over and over too in the message. But <clears throat> maybe you say it at some point so I don't have to. But when, when we are connected to the Father through Jesus, you need to realize anything is possible. You want to say that with me? Anything is possible. We're going to see that in Scripture this morning. That's what Jesus said, too, one time in Matthew 19. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. You see, with God, all things are possible. Personal change is possible. And that's good news. I need that. Living with a purpose is possible. I need that, too. Uh, reconciling broken relationships is possible. Anybody here need that? Come on. You know, we all need that. Uh, changing our society is possible. You think our society needs any changing? Let's have the Democrats over here and the Republicans over here, and we'll duke it out, okay? So, yeah, our society needs some changing. Seeing prayers answered is possible. Uh, seeing Muslims come to faith in Jesus, that too is possible. Uh, seeing that that neighbor who lives on the other side of the street or just maybe right next door to you who really hasn't been interested in spiritual things yet, but you keep getting to know them and you're becoming friends, and it's even possible that someday they might want to know Jesus. All of this depends entirely on our connecting with the Father through Jesus, through the Spirit, through His Word, because we don't engineer or orchestrate anybody coming to Jesus. It just doesn't work that way. It's a spiritual, completely a spiritual warfare thing that's going on. And so this idea of who are we connected to becomes vital. We have got to be connected to the Father. Are you with me so far? So one day, was that, uh, three of you are with me. I'm up here squeaking away and three of you are with me. Come on. Anyway, uh, one day Jesus is passing by a Samaritan village. This is in John chapter 4. You can open your Bibles and kind of follow along in this story. There's a... There's a well outside of a village called Sychar, and Jesus sits down by the well. And his disciples go into town to buy food because they've run out of food on their journey back north. They're traveling from Judea back up to Galilee. And um, Jesus sits there, and as he's sitting at the well, he sees this Samaritan woman approaching. This is an interesting situation. This woman sees Jesus, and she can tell by his dress that he's a Jewish man. And so uh, she knew what would happen next. This is as predictable as anything. As she approaches, he's going to withdraw. He's going to get up and back away from the well, maybe 20 paces or so. He's not going to look at her, and he's certainly not going to say anything to her. She's not going to look at him. She's not going to say anything to him. And when she gets her water, then he'll come back over and sit at the well. That's, that's what's going to happen here. Everybody knows it. Only the strangest thing happens. As she gets closer, he doesn't get up to move away. Mm, wow, okay, this is different. Uh, he doesn't look away either. He looks right at her. It's one of these, you know, <laughs> things. He's looking at her. And not only is he looking, he actually speaks to her. A Jewish man actually speaks to this Samaritan woman. In fact, he asked her if he could have a drink of water. Wow, okay, we're off the charts now. I know that sounds silly to us, but we're off the charts with this. No Jewish man is going to ask that question of a Samaritan woman. Uh, let alone a Jewish rabbi man, right? And so this is what we read. It says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me 
for a drink. And then there's a little parenthesis here. Uh, and, and this is John is filling in the uh, blanks for us so we can understand what's going on. He says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Period. Not going to happen. And suddenly they're talking. As is so often the case with Jesus, barriers are being broken down. Things that you would think would separate people, they start melting away. Jesus replies to her and he says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So Jesus makes this rather unusual statement and observation about himself and something he calls living water. And he tells her this. He says, whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, what does that mean, Jesus? What are you talking about? A spring of water welling up to eternal life. And if that was really the only time he'd made such a statement, we'd be scratching our heads right here this morning going, I'm not really sure exactly what he meant. But he says more about it a little later on in the Gospel of John. He says this. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Okay, that sounds like what you said before, Jesus. And then we have this comment. By this, he meant the spirit. Whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Now we can go all I see what you're talking about, Jesus. This living water that you're talking about is actually the power of the Holy Spirit active in the life of someone who wholeheartedly follows Jesus. And I love the way the old King James Version translates this. It says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly. It's great imagery. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, right? It's a good picture. Your belly, uh, went back when they made this translation in the old King James, was that, that core place in a person, that deepest part of an individual. And so Jesus is saying, in that place, in the deepest part of you, I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you, and the Holy Spirit will comfort you. And the Holy Spirit is going to give you guidance when you need guidance. And the Holy Spirit is going to be your counselor. The Holy Spirit is going to be the one who convicts you so that your relationship with the Heavenly Father goes deeper. So that you can walk more closely with the Heavenly Father. So that you can stay connected to Him. It's that whole thing of repentance. Repenting of the things that are wrong in our lives. The Holy Spirit will give you, Jesus says, spiritual gifts. So that you can be useful. So that that God the Father, the Spirit, and the Son can use you. And you can represent who He is to others. Jesus says, I will give you this gift. But the amazing thing is He says it to the Samaritan woman. This is incredible. It's a remarkable gift. It's a remarkable offer that he makes to her. And so in a sense, with her eternity kind of hanging in the balance, right, humanly speaking, uh, she says, well, sir, give me this water. That's what she says. Sir, she doesn't really fully understand what Jesus is offering at this point, but she understands enough to say, yeah, give me this water. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Sir, give me this water. This is just one of the best offers she's ever uh, had made to her. And uh, this offer, frankly, changes her life. And I hope you see what Jesus is doing. Jesus is lovingly, we'll stick with the metaphor, you know, fishing for people here. Even people his own disciples don't like. Even Samaritan people. Uh, what's so interesting to me is that uh, 
at this particular moment, what this woman would have, I think, been expecting was that when she met a Jewish man and finds out this is a rabbi and they engage in a conversation about living water and about relationship with God the Father and things of this nature, and uh, instead of being invited to receive living water, I suspect she would have expected to be condemned. I'm so disappointed in you. I can't believe how messed up your life is. I can't believe how poorly you're doing at keeping the law of the covenant. I I can't believe how badly you failed. How did your life get to this place, you see? And I'm pretty sure the conversation would have stopped right there, right? She might not have even drawn water. She might have just gotten up and gone home from that point. But the offer that Jesus is making to her to give her, a Samaritan woman to give her living water, is such an offer of grace and goodness and mercy and forgiveness. It's simply remarkable. It's the same offer that Jesus makes to us. <laughs> Just as remarkable today. And this offer that she embraces, sir, give me this water, changes her life. Now, you would think this is impossible. <coughs> Excuse me. In fact, <coughs> come up afterwards and we'll shake hands. Anyway, uh, you, you would think that this is impossible. Samaritans are not going to listen to this message, right? Samaritans uh, are not going to change. Samaritans hate Jews as much as Jews hate Samaritans. Samaritans have their own temple. Samaritans have their own priesthood. They have their own version of an abbreviated version of the Old Testament. Samaritans are not going to be interested very much in a Jewish Messiah. But again, I'll keep saying it. With Jesus, you want to say it with me? Anything is possible, you see. Anything is possible. Jesus leads this woman through a progression. Jesus is at first just a Jewish man. She expected to do one thing, but he did another. But then he tells her about her life story, her uh, five previous husbands that she's had. And by the way, uh, just as that would be a pretty good number now, that was a pretty good number then. You know, that's, that's, you're burning through a lot of husbands. And, uh, and then he also mentioned her current lover, right? And just, she's flabbergasted. Uh, she's dumbfounded. How, how does he know this about me? And, and she's convinced he's a prophet now. And they talk some more and and, uh, and then Jesus, frankly, and I'm not going to refer to it in this message, but we're going to be studying this passage for the next few weeks, and we'll, we'll study this statement in some detail, uh, maybe next week. But the, Jesus makes really one of the clearest statements in all of the Gospels about his identity, that the person you're talking to is the Messiah, he says to her. And uh, then the story continues. The disciples come back, and <laughs> they're shocked, you know. Are we surprised? They're shocked. Uh, they can't believe that he's talking to this woman, a Samaritan woman. Now, nobody says what they're thinking, which is actually progress. Because for the disciples, you know, they've learned now, they're starting to learn to hold their tongue a little bit. You know, don't say the first thing that comes to their mind. You know, Jesus, what are you doing? Uh, because this Jesus, they've come to realize, uh, will surprise you. And with this Jesus, this rabbi they follow, again... Anything is possible, you see. And this woman is so fired up with the gift that Jesus is talking about and that he's offering her that she hardly even notices the fact that his disciples are not talking to her. Yeah? They're not talking to her. Jesus has been, but they don't. And uh, she decides that she's going to go back and tell the people in her town about Jesus. 
I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? They could say no, they could reject her, but they've already rejected her. So that's not a big problem. And then there's this, this thing that Jesus is offering, this life-giving, living water. And she's perhaps beginning to experience a taste of what that is, right? She's believing in Jesus. So this is what we read, John 4, 28. Then leaving her water jar, which is you know, kind of interesting to me. She comes out to the well. She's there to, to get water. And what she got was a water that was so much more rich and, and so much more what she needed. She leaves her water jar behind. She goes back to give other people water without any water. Yeah, I don't know, just kind of an interesting twist. So then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And I'm just wondering if there's any, anyone in that village who's thinking, uh-oh, I might be implicated in that, you know. But then she asked this question, a penetrating question, could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ right out there at the well? And you've got to kind of understand what's going on here. This is one of the earliest examples of anybody proclaiming the gospel in an open public manner. And it's incredibly compelling. It's very enthusiastic. Come and see, come and see, you see. And it's incredibly vulnerable. A man told me everything I ever did. Well, guess what? People in this little village, they know pretty much everything that she ever did. And that's why she's heading to the well at noon on a hot day to get water. Because she's really not welcome at the well when the other women are there. And she's very respectful, too. She's not only vulnerable, she's... Talking about Jesus, Jesus in her, she's respectful of their intelligence. She asks this question, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? What do you think? It's only 16 words. It's incredibly effective. It's delivered by a woman, a five times married woman, a five times divorced woman, a Samaritan woman with bad theology and wrong worship, living on the wrong side of the tracks. She doesn't have much money. You know how we know that? She's getting her own water. She's doing hard labor in the middle of a hot day. If she had any money, she'd have a servant out there getting it. And she's shacking up with a guy she's not even married to. It's a very interesting story. And apparently, Jesus thought it was a good idea to have this woman be the first one in that village to tell others about him. Go figure. Apparently, Jesus was right because the whole town ends up listening to her and comes out to meet Jesus. How does that happen? How does that happen? One reason. One reason. We follow a man who said one time, with God, all things are possible, you see. And when we follow and when we walk with and when we trust in our great God, here's the deal. That is always true. You don't always know what he's going to be up to. You know, I've been praying all week long he'd give me a voice. His answer was no. So I guess what he wanted me to learn was that you can preach without a voice. So, okay, I get that. So my will is not always his will. I'm not suggesting that. But with God, all things are possible. He could have healed me. All things are possible, whatever he wants to do. So she goes back to the village and she tells them, you know what? You should come and listen to this guy. You've got to listen to this guy, Jesus. He's incredible. Again, these are Samaritans. They don't like Jews and Jews uh, don't like them. And Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, a particularly unpopular group with Samaritans. 
But look at this response. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. It's just remarkable. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And my, my thought immediately goes to the disciples. We're going to do what? 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 Jesus, is this a good idea? You remember uh, once upon a time, uh, at another point in Jesus' ministry, uh, they were passing through an area where there was a Samaritan town, and some of the disciples were not pleased with how the Samaritans had not responded to some needs that they had. And do you remember what the disciples wanted to do? Jesus, would you like us to, what was it? Call down fire from heaven on the Samaritans. This will be good. Oh, Dad, this will show them. Watch this. They're going to find out now. Would you like us to just, just fry them? You know? And Jesus says, no. Shut up. You know? No, don't do that. And uh, so now they're staying in a Samaritan town for two days. Talking about the kingdom. Talking about the love of God. Talking about the fact that he wants to have relationship with them. The only message they've ever heard being Samaritans is that God is disgusted with you. God wants nothing to do with you. We are the ones of true faith. It's, it's remarkable, this story. So this woman is just on fire for Jesus, and she's connecting to God. And You have to picture this. She's bringing everybody in town to Jesus, you know. And, of course, I'm just guessing. This is reading between the lines, so take it for what it is, which is probably nothing. But the point is, I'm, I'm guessing her exes are there in town. Doesn't that make sense? So I don't know. So she brings, oh, here, Jesus. Here's husband number one and husband number two. They don't get along very much, so you got some work cut out in order to talk to these two. And uh, Jesus, here's husband number three. I don't know what I was thinking when I married husband number three. It was kind of a rebound marriage, but I'm sure you can do something with him. And I tried to get husband number four here, but he is so mad at me. He won't even talk to me, but I'll keep working on him. Husband number five, to tell you the truth, I'm kind of not over this husband entirely. So you're going to have to talk to him because my heart's a little bit tender around that whole issue. And then, you know, here's number six. And I know I'm not married to him, but I told him about that verse in the Bible. If you want it, you have to put a ring on it. That's uh, the book of Beyonce. And I explained, we're going to have to go through premarital counseling and all that stuff. But, you know, Jesus, I'm thinking of starting a divorce recovery ministry with all of my ex-spouses and their ex-spouses. Would that be okay? Unbelievable. Wouldn't surprise me. Because anything is possible. You see. And by the way, all of us here in this room, every single one of us, We've gone through our stuff, have we not? I mean, we've walked down different, difficult roads, all of us. Some of us in this room have been divorced. Some of us, well, not all of us, have messed up and at times wandered off and done things we don't really like to repeat. And when we do those kinds of things, you know, questions occur. Have I messed up too many times this time? Can God now not use me? And the answer, hear me on this, is unequivocally, no, no. You have not messed up too many times. And yes, God can use you. This story of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman preaches that message loudly and clearly. 
God has this amazing way. This uncanny means of taking our biggest mistakes, our biggest wounds, our biggest hurts and scars, and using that very thing to enable us to care for others and serve others and minister to others in Jesus' name. To be a messenger of Jesus with people we never thought we would ever have any possibility of reaching. But because it's Jesus, you see, with him. You can say it with me this time. Anything is possible. You see. Now, part of what we see in this story is this progressive discovery that somebody makes about who Jesus is. And we heard some stories on the screen about that. Uh, At the beginning, all this woman sees is a Jewish male, but this Jewish male acts different than other Jewish males. He doesn't get up and back off and, you know, divert his attention. He he engages her. And then she sees a little bit more clearly that he's actually a prophet. There's wisdom coming from this man and truth coming from this man, and he knows things about her he shouldn't know. And then she comes to see that he is, in fact, the Messiah. And then it gets even bigger than that. The Samaritan people say to this woman, and I quote, This man really is the savior of the world, they say. Understand, that is one of the greatest titles ever given to Jesus in any and all of the Gospels. And it comes from a bunch of Samaritans, right? People that you would think would never believe, but with Jesus, here we go. Anything is possible, you see. (laughs) It's an amazing story. You know, people have been praying anything is possible kinds of prayers for centuries. Abraham prayed one, God, give me a child. Give me a son. I'm 99 years old, but God, would you give me a son? Moses prayed a prayer, and anything is possible. for God, could you deliver your people from Pharaoh? Could you deliver them out of Egypt? Impossible. David prayed a prayer, God, could you help me defeat a giant? Uh, Daniel prayed a prayer, God, could you, could you save me? I'm going to be thrown into a pit of lions. Can you protect me? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's buddies, could you deliver us, Lord, from a fiery furnace? And, and in every instance, God says, yeah, I can do that. I will do that. People ask Jesus again and again and again to do anything as possible kinds of things. Jesus, can you heal me? Jesus can do that. Jesus, can you deliver the oppressed? Jesus did that all the time. Jesus, can you still the storm? Yeah, he can do that too. Jesus, can you save sinners? Absolutely. That's exactly what I've come to do. Jesus, would you give me living water? And he says, yes. Because anything is possible. You see, with Jesus. Here's where it gets, excuse me, a little personal. And I would just ask you, what is your anything is possible prayer? Do you have one? (coughs) Maybe your prayer is to be used by God in a fresh, powerful way, the way this Samaritan woman was. I mean, believe me, she had written off, I'm sure this is true. She had written off any possibility of having some kind of eternally important impact on the people of her village. Please. She was an outcast there, right? Maybe your anything is possible prayer has to do with receiving strength to face a situation that you feel like you just don't have the strength to face. It's a situation you can't fix. 
Maybe, maybe it's to be given power to resist or to overcome a temptation or a pattern that has just been killing you in your life. Maybe it's just to mend some brokenness in your heart. Maybe it's to mend some brokenness in a marriage. Maybe it's for somebody you love who has been far from God and you just long to see them come home to the Father. Maybe it's for God to use you to touch a part of the world that needs to know about Him. A lot of our ministry partners are people that at some point in time they felt a movement of God in their life literally calling them to do something dangerous, something they would never normally do on their own, something in fact they couldn't do on their own. And through events, prayers answered, they, they went and did it. Maybe it's something that you've been carrying around for so long that you've just given up praying for, and, and Jesus would say, don't, don't stop praying. Here's the thing, friends, with God, anything is possible. With the Holy Spirit, you can have rivers of living water flowing from your belly. Anything is possible. As a church, uh, we're praying anything is possible prayers these days. We want to get better at at representing Jesus to our local community. We need to get better. Every one of us in this room need to get better or more like Jesus when it comes to loving people that are right around us, people we go to work with, go to school with, interact with on a daily basis. We want to get better at loving people. We just did a series where we spent, uh, was it five weeks, talking about loving each other and loving the people around us. And one of the things we noted in in that series was just, it is about love. Loving God and loving people. If you make it more complicated than that, then you're overcomplicating it. Loving God and loving people. And we're sure that God wants us to become better lovers of people as we love him. We want to get better as a church in making disciples. We want to see men and women and children come to know Jesus and grow in their faith in Jesus and be faithful followers. This is what our whole mission is about here at Deer Creek Church. Seeing God do great kingdom things right here in Denver, right here through us, but also in Ukraine, also in Lebanon. Also in Guatemala, also in Myanmar, areas where we have ministry partners that are actually kind of, in some way, there are hands and feet in places where we can't be, but they're representing Jesus there. Because again, you know, with Jesus, anything is possible. We need to stay connected in the up. Because without that connection, you know, the opposite is true. Nothing's really possible. We're not going to accomplish what we need to accomplish. We're not going to be who we need to be. You know, um, so we've been praying all kinds of uh, anything is possible prayers. In the last year, friends, I, I mean, I don't know how to account for this, but uh, we've certainly prayed a good deal about it, and that is seeing people come to know Jesus. And in the last year, we've had more adults and students profess faith in Christ than any year prior in our history. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. I hope you're praying with us as we think about Easter. Because you know what's going to happen at Easter? 
uh, we're going to swell like every other church. It's not unique here. We're, we're going to uh, more than double in size for Easter. And we're going to be preaching the gospel, and we're going to be asking people to believe, and we're going to be challenging them to come forward and be baptized. So would you be praying with us? We, we want to see Jesus work, and uh, we want his will to be done. Um, we've been asking God to bring his kingdom more and more, you know, up there, down here, in us and out there. That's what we want to see him do. And friends, when we stay connected up with God, again, anything is possible. We believe that. Our missions committee is currently kind of rethinking and rewriting our specific policies on connecting with mission partners. And long story short, I could talk about, I could get out the whole policy document and read it with you. It's 27 pages, single space. Would you like to go through it with me? <clears throat> Actually, I'm joking. It's not. But, but uh, we've decided to do kind of a 180. In the past, we've been, we think, sort of a, a mile wide and an inch deep. Okay? I kind of use that language to describe this shift. But we have lots of ministry partners. And here's the thing. You know, if we were to survey you all, you know, how many of them could you name? You, many of you couldn't name any of them. Uh, some of you could name a few. We would like to get to a point where almost everyone can name almost all of them. That's where we're going. And not just name them. We'll talk about, you know, what, what we want you to do. But instead, that's a mile wide and an inch deep, and we want to reverse that and go more like a mile deep and an inch wide. And that's an exaggeration, but uh, you get the idea. We want deeper connection with each of our ministry partners. We want to pray for them better, not just maybe once a year when you hear about them. That means we've got to keep them in front of you more effectively. Every month we want to feature uh, one of our ministry partners to you and, uh, and give you the tools you need to pray effectively for them. We want to visit them more. <clears throat> we got an invitation last night at the missions banquet to uh, come to Lebanon. And there's definitely some people in this church I want to send to Lebanon. So, you know, we're thinking about that. We're praying about that. But, I, I, you know, I'm joking. But, uh, I mean, short-term missions, we want that to become a much higher priority in what we do with mission dollars in this church. So that as you meet people uh, that are our partners and you go to do ministry with them, you'll never forget them. Your life will never be the same. And you will be marked in a way you'll never forget to pray for those people, you see. Uh, we want to take up a, a much greater percentage of, a, of our mission partners' total support so that our missionaries that we support don't have to make as many trips to as many places seeking to be funded in their service to the Lord, which uh, that's, you know, that, that's a constant stress for missionaries. <coughs> so our goal in the upcoming year is to carefully determine you know, how to transition this. It's, a, it's going to be a difficult transition. Because, frankly, we don't have any ministry partners that are not good people doing good works. So how do you like that? That means, you know, if we downsize the number of people we support, every, every one of those decisions is going to stink and it's going to be hard to make. But we do feel called to make it because we want to be really serious as a church about deepening our connections to those families serving Jesus here in our city and in other parts of the world. We feel deeply called to this. So um, to do any of this, we've got to strengthen our up. Who are we kidding? There's no way without listening to the Father, connecting with the Father, praying to the Father, God guide us in these steps that we're going to get this right. But we've got to do the things that help us trust and grow and go deeper in 
uh, those things. Last week, I uh, ended the service. I'm going to end it the same way this week. It's just challenging you to do three things. Uh, the first thing that I mentioned, and, and again, you can't do this with any faithfulness unless you stay connected up. First thing was consistently pray. Please, would you pray consistently for the people in your life who need Jesus? That's the first thing we ask you to pray about. Are there people in your neighborhood, in your school, in your circles of influence, or just friendships that just need to know Jesus? Would you pray for them? And then the real missional piece or, or ministry partner piece of this, we asked you if you would take at least one of our ministry partner's cards that are out there, keep them on the table where you eat, where you maybe are in a family, Pray as a family for them consistently, regularly for a year. Would you make that commitment? Uh, I, I can't overemphasize it. This is vitally important to the success of our ministry partners' efforts in the places in the world where they work. Do we seriously think they can be successful if we don't even pray for them? So that's one thing we're asking you to do. The second is give sacrificially. And this is a big ask. Because we're asking you, if you're a part of Deer Creek Church, to make a sacrificial commitment over and above your regular giving to, to make the ministry of our ministry partners uh, doable, financially doable. So we're trying to raise $107,000. 50% of that goes to me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, four of you knew that. Uh, the rest of you weren't sure. Um, <laughs> $107,000 is a money we need to raise through a faith promise, which you have in your bulletin. Um, we ask you to pray about it, and can you make a contribution? Can you commit to that over the next year? And that's actually money uh, over and above what we give to missions out of our general fund. And uh, if we don't raise those dollars, then they're really what that represents is real uh, ministry partners that we can't support or won't be able to support fully and things of that nature. The last thing, <coughs> excuse me, that I asked you to do is live missionally. And that means a number of things. It might mean will you go to Lebanon. might mean that. might mean will you go to Casa Hogar, you know, when the students head down there. Is that, will that happen this summer? Next year. Is that every other year? Yep, I can say on top of that. Thanks. Um, uh, you know, will you invite People into conversation, into your life, into this church, if it seems appropriate. Will you represent, will you love, will you serve people in Jesus' name so that they can see Jesus, be touched by Jesus, be loved by Jesus, be made whole by Jesus, be surprised by Jesus? Will you pray and will you give and will you live missionally? That's what I'm asking you to pray about. That's the ask, so... And I'm out of voice, so let's pray. <clears throat> God, you are so good to us. You are so merciful. You have given us, you have sent your son to love us and to pursue us and to save us and to rescue us. God, let us not. Take these gifts for granted. Let us not hide them under a basket. We thank you, God, for the ministry partners we have. We thank you for the work that they're doing and the success that you're giving them and the proclamation of the gospel. We pray, God, that you would help us be faithful in the proclamation of the gospel right here where we live as well.
We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done in the lives of more and more men and women and children. God, help us as a church to become more like Jesus and thus to, Lord, then take up more and more the mission of Jesus. This we ask in his name. Amen. Jesus, we believe that to be the truth. You are our rescue. You take all our sins away. And that is good news. Help us to live it out and proclaim it everywhere we go with everyone uh, with whom you give us that opportunity. Help us to love people the way you have loved us. Thank you, Father, for meeting us here this morning. And uh, now dismiss us with your blessing. For we ask it in his name, the King of kings. Amen.